Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than Gloucestershire County Cricket Club icon, Chris Dent. So Chris, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's going fine. Obviously, cold and, and dark at the minute. So, uh, you know, that's part of sort of being in the winter during during uh, the English winter. So, yeah, I'm sort of getting over that. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. And, and enjoying, you know, a bit of time off. So, yeah, it's, been, it's, it's all good. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that, mate. And, yeah, you mentioned the weather. It is absolutely Baltic at the moment, isn't it? It's absolutely freezing. It's minus two here in Warwickshire. Just for the listeners out there, Chris, what's it like down in in Bristol at the moment? I'm guessing it's not too much warmer, to be honest. No, it's not. I'm I'm looking over the ground at the minute, set up in a box at the at the county ground, and there's ice on all, all over the grass, and and yeah, it's it's freezing cold. It's uh, you know not ideal, but at least it's not raining. You know, usually it's raining here, so that's that's quite nice. Of course, yes, the the famous drizzle in Bristol as it's known. Yeah, it does usually rain down there in, in the West Country, but goodness me, it's just been horrible, hasn't it, this week? Ice, frost, it's cold, it's wet, it's windy. Goodness me, we're having it all in the UK at the moment, but thankfully, we're not recording this episode outside. That would be a completely different beast one this. And just before we get into our, our main chats for today's episode, Chris, just in terms of the off-season, we are recording this on the 1st of December, so by the end of this month, it's 2024, the season is fast approaching. How has your off-season actually been so far? Have you been able to have a bit of a rest? And how's the the management actually going as we, we lead back up to the season? Um, yeah, it's been, it's been fine. I had uh, October off, a couple of holidays with the family, and um, and we got back training first week of November, so we've been going for, for three weeks. Um, it's been, been pretty chill. We've been hitting balls, lifting weights, running, pretty the normal things that... You do during the winter but no no it's, it's it's been fine and you know go this this little period before christmas goes so fast and then suddenly you come back after christmas and things actually you know you're quite close to the season before you know it so everything does go pretty fast in the off season but, but yeah it's been pretty relaxed and um you know i've enjoyed a bit of time off well again i'm glad to hear that because it's important isn't it after a grueling summer because the schedule is very, very volatile at times, isn't it? It can be very, very demanding. And yeah, you do need that time to just switch off and relax from what is a very cruel and, and difficult game at times. But also, the best game as well it is the greatest sport on the planet. And that is exactly why we love covering the, the wonderful world of, of county cricket here on TCCP. And Chris, before we get into our chat and our conversation about Gloucestershire County Cricket Club, which of course will take up a large chunk of today's discussion. I just wanted to take it all the way back to the origins of the Chris Dent cricketing story. So in, in terms of your first ever memories of cricket, what are they? What can you remember about picking up a bat and a ball and going out there and experiencing this game for the very first time? Um, well, my dad played cricket when um, when I was young. So I used to spend quite a lot of time around, around him playing and I think that's what got me into it. Initially, I was all about football. You know, most, I think most cricketers are, you know, start off as footballers, end up as cricketers. 
But um, but yeah, I still play cricket from a very early age, and and then I I joined a club, Cleve Cricket Club, in um sort of North Somerset area. I joined them when I was nine and and started playing cricket there. Um, but most of my memories from the back garden, you know, hitting balls, bowling balls. Started doing a bit of wiki keeping. Used to practice in the house, smash things constantly. But you know, my dad was all right with it as long as we were as long as we were practicing. He was fine with it. So so yeah, it's a lot of it was from being at home really. Well, it's a lovely route into the game, and as you mentioned it as I'm guessing he has an absolutely massive impact, not just on those early days, but throughout your cricketing story. So just to give him a bit of a mention for today's podcast, a bit of a shout out per se, what is your dad's name, Chris? Because he's quite clearly had a massive impact. Yeah, his, his name's Steve Dent. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously, drove me to all my games, you know, practiced with me constantly. So yeah, he's had a huge impact. And um and yeah, obviously, I'm I'm really thankful for that. I think it's you know, I think most people, you know, their parents are a big reason why they've succeeded in in sport. You know, you can't really do it without them. So yeah, it's, it's obviously been a, a great impact. You certainly can't, since that is such a familiar tale on this podcast. Supportive parents, so your mum and your dad taking you to games, taking you up and down the country, maybe even to trials. Once you get to that stage as well, it's so important to have that support network and family, friends and friends as well are vital in this sport in order to get you on that that path to success. And in terms of those early years then, because I always love asking this particular question, you mentioned about doing basically all of it in the game of cricket. So a bit of batting, a bit of bowling, a bit of wicket keeping as well in the back garden, which is always a nice bonus. But in terms of those formative years, did you have any role models, any icons, any influences in the professional game itself who you tried to emulate in those early years, per se? Um, my first sort of icon in, in cricket, I think, was was Brian Lara. I um, Quite early on, I got got her, myself an MRF bat. So I, obviously, being a left-hander myself, I, I loved him and I loved even playing Brian Lara cricket back in the day. You know, I just... I just loved watching him. So he was sort of someone I tried to bat like, not so much now, but, you know, back then I did. Um, and also when I was keeping, I'd met Jack Russell quite early on. So he was uh, he was someone that, you know, I, I really loved and, and quite early on was a real big fan of. Well, two fantastic choices there. And yeah, Chris, you've already gained some, some brownie points on today's episode of the podcast, mentioning the Prince, Brian Charles Lara, one of Warwickshire's finest ever overseas players 2000 runs in the 1994 treble winning season averaged 89 obviously was just topped off with that masterful 501 outs against Durham at Edgbaston one of the finest cricketers a master the prince for a reason so absolutely love that shout and Jack Russell one of England's finest ever keepers his leg side wicket keeping in particular it's just an art form in itself. It's got a court following, hasn't it? Those incredible takes down the leg side were just emblematic of Jack Russell's cricketing presence. So two wonderful shouts there. And this might be a pretty difficult question, but if you could have a net session with one of those two cricketers in their prime, who would you choose and why? Um, I think I probably have to choose Brian Lara. Luckily enough, I've actually had some wicketkeeping coaching when I was young from, from Jack Russell, and I've, I know him obviously through Gloucestershire and etc. But yeah, I think obviously Brian Lara just watching him back would just be incredible, you know. And, and I'm sure he'd have some incredible tips as well, especially being a left hander myself. 
um yeah i think you know probably a dream for most young cricketers who my sort of era would be to you know have a net session with with him it certainly would be and just mentioning that there's a wonderful video on youtube i think it's I think it might be seven cricket because it's Mark Howard who's doing the presenting and Brian Lara does this masterclass out in the middle. And it's just an absolute joy to behold in terms of the high back lift, the footwork, the actual flow of the shots themselves. It's it's poetry in motion. So anyone wanting to watch that, highly recommend it. Just put in Brian Lara masterclass into YouTube. I could watch that video all day long. And talking of the art of batting in particular, Chris... You mentioned in those early days that you could have been a keeper as well, given the influence of Jack Russell. In the end, why did you become a specialist bats as opposed to a keeper? What was it about the the top order and the art of batting itself, which almost captured your imagination in those early days? Um, well, initially, I actually started off as a bowler. So I, I used to, at county level, I used to open the bowling and then I moved to Gloucester and, and I started batting and then we, we didn't have a keeper, so I ended up keeping um and I kept from sort of under 12s to about 17 but I just think batting just really I just loved batting you know keeping it although I did enjoy it I found it you know a bit taxing a bit boring every now and then um whereas batting was just something that I just always loved to do and and I think you you know you're always going to be better at something you're you love to do and you've got a real passion for because you'll you'll you know you'll offer it a bit more time and you'll work a bit harder at it so i think that's just why eventually you know batting just became my thing and i i just really concentrate on that um and i you know i just got i improved quite quickly at batting and my you know because of my because i wasn't overly interested at keeping anymore that sort of tailed off and and it, it, it sort of paved the way for me to to carry my batting when it comes to batting at the top order <laughs> um I just sort of fell into that i think um you know i think most people most top order batters wish they'd been middle order batters ideally but you know it just sort of i fell into it and and it became a thing that i couldn't really get away from at the end in the end so yeah just that's what i've been doing from the last 14 years now <laughs> yeah it's gone by quite quick hasn't it to be honest but i think it's safe to say after 11,119 first class runs for gloucestershire that's the decision ultimately paid off in the end. And in terms of batting itself, again, this is a lovely follow-up question, which I always want to ask, in particular top-order batters. What is it about the arts and discipline of batting, which, again, just brings you back time and time and time again? Um, I think just when you when you get into a, into like a period in your innings, you just everything just feels so easy and that you can score anywhere i think that it just it's, a, it's an incredible feeling i think the start of your innings obviously you're always nervous a bit scratchy but when you get through that and then you know you get to 50 60 70 100 plus that feeling of just being able to sort of express yourself and enjoy yourself out there is, is so nice and obviously if it helps your team win it helps your team get a big score obviously that adds to it but but yeah just that that feeling you get into when you're in and and you just and you just, it just all feels a lot easier and you can really enjoy yourself i think that's that's the best period obviously you'll go through a lot of tough tough times as a batter when you don't get any but eventually when you do get them and you get in it's just, there's no better feeling and that's a similar sentiment to a lot of batters on this podcast you almost feel invincible at times 
out there in the Midlands. Obviously, that isn't always the case in crickets, as you've rightfully said, in particular up the top, given the additional swing that's present. It is very difficult at times, and you do have a lot of difficult moments as an opener in particular. And just touching upon that, Chris, before we get into your county journey, and of course the highlights from your time at Gloucestershire so far, what do you find the most difficult thing of batting? Because there's an enormous amount of pressure, isn't there? In particular, the more experienced you get, because you have something which is the weight of expectations. You've got pressure. People expect you to go out there, set the tempo, lay the foundation, and score a lot of runs. So, for example, we as England fans, you see it all the time with Sir Alistair Cook. And on those occasions when he didn't get big scores, straight away, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that, right? It's a typical case of, of blaming the openers. So it's a very, very volatile and unforgiving position at times. So in terms of the more difficult aspects of batting, and in particular being a top-order batter, what do you think is the toughest element of this particular role? Um, I think probably just accepting that you're going to fail. That's the batting in general. You know, you you actually fail more times than you succeed, especially at the top of the order when you can do nothing wrong and be out, which is it's a tough thing to deal with because you know you want to go out there and score runs every time, and then if that doesn't happen, you obviously get down yourself. But yeah, I think just accepting that it's not always going to go your way, but as long as you go out there with the right sort of mind frame each time then you give yourself the best chance and, and, and eventually things should come good for you. Um, although sometimes, you know, you you feel like you're never going to score another run again, but as long as you sort of stick at it, keep getting out there, you, eventually it will. And, and then and then it comes down to cashing in when you when you do get in. You know, the best players, Cook, for example, when he gets in, he gets big ones and then that makes up for all the times that you sort of play a nice forward defensive and, and nick it to the keeper. So I think, yeah, that's, that's really important as well. It certainly is. And without getting too profound, Chris, you do mention the the fear of failure. And it's such a, a common concept on this podcast in particular when it comes to openers. I know this is a very difficult and almost strange question to have this early on in the podcast, really. But when did you actually learn to accept that failure? Because no one likes failure, do they? We all absolutely hate it. And in particular for you guys as competitors, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to go out there, be the hero, score the match-winning century, contribute to a team's victory. When did you, in your career, actually learn that failure is just part and parcel of this game? I'll, I'll be honest, I'm still learning it. Um, you know, I think it, it ebbs and flows. Like, I think when you're, when you're early on in your career and you're young, you're sort of naive to it. So you, you don't almost fear it as that much and then you know as you start to do well the pressure ramps up you're expected to score runs it you know that sort of fear heightens and then even now you know I'm 32 I've played a lot of games I still have periods where I really struggle with it um so I, I just I'm not, not sure you ever do sort of crack it you know sometimes you're, you're better at it than other times but but yeah like I said I think it just ebbs and flows through your career and you know as situation changes and I've had kids uh, like pressure suddenly change um, everything changes, so you just have to sort of go with it and, and you know, do your best, really. Well, you do, and it's all about maintaining that even keel, isn't it? Maintaining composed and almost accepting and coming to terms with the facts that you are going to have these massive troughs, but also these big peaks. And a, a concept that you touched upon beforehand is cashing in. It's so important. It's something we discussed very recently on this podcast, actually, with both Will Smale and Niels Priestley. 
it's a case of when you are in those absolute just golden runs of form, you've got to go big because you never know. The next innings could be the one where you nick off first ball and maybe get a pair in a match. So you never know. It's all about cashing in and taking advantage of those runs of form. And just one final question, actually, more in particular about the, the mental side of batting, Chris, before we touch upon your county journey. How do you maintain that even keel? Because we've spoken already in this podcast, even though we are so early on in the recording, that batting is a delicate art, isn't it? It's a case of maintaining that composure and not getting too far ahead of yourself. Because one moment you could be scoring that century, the next one you could be out for a golden. So you've got to strike the right balance in between. So I suppose my question with regards to that would be, how do you actually strike that balance? How does Chris Dent maintain his composure, maintain that even keel over the course of a cricket season? Yeah, great, great question. Um, it's a re- it's a really tough one. You know, I think um, just you just got to try and keep faith. Really, you know, try and as long as you as long as you're working hard, believe that you know that will pay off. Because I think you know it's it's so tricky. It's so tricky when you're having a real tough time and and things aren't going your way to 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 keep going out there and believing. But I think if you just if you just keep working hard and 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 back that that will eventually pay off you know it usually does you know it usually does eventually come good but but i think you know it's it's a really really tough one and i think you know i i struggle with it you know i struggle with with, with you know not getting too down on myself i'm i'm not one to get like really really high and you know get really excited but i do struggle with with getting a bit down on myself and and putting a bit too much pressure on myself so so it's something that i'm still working on now you know and it, uh, I can still improve at it but I think you know you look at some of the best players in the world Kane Williamson's an example that I always think of because we had a couple of seasons where he played for us and when he was young you know 2021 and he was just so level you know you, you never really knew whether he'd got runs or he hadn't got runs he was just so calm and he obviously backed himself so much that he he never really fluctuated so I think he was a he was someone that I always looked at as a, as a real example of that sort of staying level and and I think, you know, obviously it's it's shown in his results and, and how good he is as a player. It certainly has. And just a, another character, I suppose, in that similar vein would be MS Dhoni. Because even at the heights of pressure, bear in mind all of the expectations that are on his shoulders, whether that's for the Chennai Super Kings or when he used to play for India. You never knew if he was in the greatest form of his career or the absolute Nadia. He was always just so cool, so calm so collected a bit like Owen Morgan as well and in terms of those moments where you do have those slight knocks of confidence and you are maybe feeling a little bit low Chris do you have any techniques or processes which you can utilize to get yourself back to feeling your best I mean how do you do that over the course of those more difficult aspects of the season um I think one thing it sounds really simple but can be really effective when you're out there and you're not quite feeling your best is, is just really using your, your breathing you know um obviously you see that in a lot of when you're doing sports site they always talk about using your breathing and it really does help uh, it helps sort of clear your mind take those nerves away stop you thinking about the negatives which is the first thing you you think about when you're when you're struggling so i think it's a really important skill to use in it. It's not as easy as it sounds, but yeah, it's something you have to practice, but it, it can really help. And then just things like maybe using visualization and things like that. Because initially, you, 
you've got to try and build some confidence before you actually get any runs and that and you know using visualization and, and maybe watching videos if you've been successful can really help build that confidence before you actually go out there because it's it's hard to just try and build confidence when you're out in the middle you know before you've got any runs because you sort of need to try and do that before you actually get out there and, and you know visualization and, and using maybe some some video work can, can really help that well, it's interesting you touch upon that because someone who visualizes an awful lot is Virat Kohli. And obviously, he's one of the finest players on the planet. So it's quite clearly a technique which, for a lot of cricketers, does work. And I just think it's so important, isn't it, to, to recognize and appreciate that thing that we touched upon beforehand, which is accepting that failure will happen, but having techniques to bring yourself back. And whether that is breathing, visualization, Another technique which I, I touched upon actually in the research for this podcast, Chris, and you could give me a little bit more detail into this, is also meditation. Is that something which is still very much part and parcel of your pre-match process? Yeah, I, yeah, I've used it a lot throughout the years. Um, I think it's just a really good skill to practice, just for, for keeping yourself calm. And look, it's not only really for cricket as well just for for day-to-day -day life you know once you've once you've got kids once you've got a busy life you know having a bit of time where you can can really calm yourself down and uh, and sort of sense yourself is really helpful and I think you know it, it helped my cricket a lot um just meditating in the morning meditating in the evening whenever but it really does help and it's it's something that I think even from for youth cricketers for, for youngsters it's a great skill to practice it always sounds a bit a bit silly sometimes if you don't know much about it but it's a really good skill and I'm, I'm i'm sure you'd be surprised about how many you know elite athletes actually do do use visual uh, meditation well they do and that's exactly i wanted to touch upon this because it's come up on this podcast before i mean all sorts we have all sorts of techniques one which freddie heldrich used the the northamptonshire left arm wrist spinner was hypnosis people use all sorts of different techniques and processes to get them being their best. And I suppose the, the best piece of advice which we could give with regards to that would just be about finding one which is suitable for yourself. Just because visualisation works for Virat Kohli or just because meditation works for Chris Dents doesn't always mean that it might work for you. But if you can find that one thing which turns that bad day into an okay day and gets you back on track, that's absolutely pivotal when it comes to cricket in particular as a batter because as we mentioned it can be a very very unforgiving position at times in this sport and Chris just one final question I know I keep on saying this we will eventually get onto our chat about Gloucestershire but in terms of that advice for any young batters out there who maybe are struggling with confidence maybe struggling with rhythm haven't got that weight of runs behind them to really give them that self-confidence boost what advice would you give to those young cricketers, maybe starting out at, at club level or indeed at county level, who may be just struggling with the confidence and the mental aspects of the art of batting? Um, yes, it's, it's a good question. I think, like, I think, firstly, if you're enjoying it, you're going to be at your best. Like if you're, if you're stressing, if you're nervous all the time, if you're extremely anxious before and while you're batting you, you're not going to be at your best so to try to find a way of enjoying it um you know I think back to when I was a kid you know loving Brian Lara when I was batting I used to imagine I was Brian Lara even in games you know things just small things like that where you can try and get the enjoyment back into the game even if you're playing at you know 
under 12s county level and there's there's a lot on the game just trying to find a way of enjoying it will will make you play better um and i think that look, trying to work, work on the you know the mental side of the game even if you're even if you're young i think it's almost better if you're young because firstly it's setting you up as you as you get older but also most other youngsters won't be doing that you know most youngsters are hitting lots of balls they're practicing all the time they're doing all that stuff but they're not actually doing any sort of mental skills so i think actually trying to get ahead of the game and and work on that and, and it's so easy now to to access that sort of stuff with you know youtube all the you know the calms and headspace these these sort of apps it's really easy to, to access that sort of stuff it wasn't so so easy back when i was a kid it wasn't as as used and as talked about so i think that, you know that'd be a great way for kids to to get an early early look at it it certainly would and i completely echo that sentiment because cricket is such a funny sport isn't it you know, I can't say this as a professional, but even at the club level, it's so focused on the psychology as opposed to just the skill because you'll see even the most talented cricketers on the planet have these bad runs of form. So we'll take Virat Kohli, for example, right, when he had that, that century-less streak, which lasted for over a year, and now look at him. He's back to the, the peak of his career yet again and just dominating all three formats in an India shirt. So much of this game does dominate or is dominated by the psychological aspect. So if you can master that and at least work on that in those early years, it sets you up for the future. That is something which so many cricketers have come onto this podcast and stated. So I think that's some very, very wise advice, to be honest, Chris, some very sagely advice to, to kickstart the podcast, to be honest. And talking of county cricket, Chris, because I've been alluding to this club throughout the podcast, let's get on to our discussion about Gloucestershire county cricket club one of the founding members of the county championship and an illustrious outfit to say the very least so in terms of your first ever memories of gloucestershire first and foremost how did that opportunity first materialize how did a young chris dent go from playing for his local side at cleve cricket club to representing the glorious gloucesters um i actually started off at somerset which is obviously a bit of a sore subject but um Sort of under nines, tens, elevens. I was I was part of the Somerset setup, um, and then I decided I wanted to to part ways. So I I came along to a Gloucestershire training session just to to have a look. And Andy Stovold, obviously a Gloucestershire legend, was um was the coach. Um, and you know things things went well. And and before I knew it, I was I was playing for the Gloucestershire under twelve side, and um and pretty much played all through the age groups from then but um i you know when i was a kid i came and watched games here obviously knew of some of the legends that were playing and obviously they were a fantastic one day side and everyone knew that so it's so you know I, I loved coming to gloucestershire and and i, I feel really lucky that i've i've been able to to spend most of my life at this ground pretty much you know it's been a long time i've been coming here pretty much on and off for you know 20 years so um, yeah, I feel really lucky to have to have ended up in the, the setup here. So it's a fantastic club and some, lots of great people here. There certainly are. And yeah, it is, to be honest, probably one of my favourite clubs on the entire circuit, not just for the group of players, but just the people down there. You always feel welcome down in Bristol and obviously at Cheltenham as well, which is one of the truly great outgrounds. If you can go to the Cheltenham Cricket Festival, cannot recommend that highly enough. I was there in 2019. 31 degree weather, fantastic T20 against Middlesex and yeah, definitely a very, very enjoyable day to say the least. And 
Talking of an enjoyable day for yourself, Chris, let's talk about your debut because you mentioned there about joining the Gloucestershire age groups. You joined them at under 12 level. And then in 2009, I know we fast forwarded quite a bit of, of age group cricket there and the academy system, but in 2009, you make your debut for this club. So I just wanted to ask, what can you remember about that day itself in terms of walking out onto that field for the very first time and representing? Gloucestershire County Cricket Club? I'll be honest, I don't remember a lot about it. It's all a bit of a blur. Um, I wasn't really expecting it, if I'm honest. I, um, just the sort of opportunity arose. Obviously, it was at Trent Bridge, which is a fantastic ground, but I don't remember a huge amount about it. It was a very, it was a quick game. We bowled them out for 50 or 60 or, or something like that, like, like a real low total. Um, and before we knew it, we, you know, batting hand, I was batting at sort of five six a bit lower down the order so I didn't get to have a bat so before I knew it the game was done and I hadn't really done a huge amount um but I think looking back I, I must just been a bit of you know being young I, I don't remember being that nervous but like thinking about it now I, I feel more nervous now thinking about it now I've, now I'm a bit older so I must just been a bit of youth and not really knowing the sort of magnitude of it I, I think I just remember just being pretty chilled about it but yeah, it was just all a bit of a blur, really. And to be honest, I'm not surprised by that because a lot of cricketers do say a very similar thing because I suppose you've just got all the nerves and, well, I suppose not in your case, the nerves, but the excitement, the anticipation of this debut. It's something which you've worked your entire life up until that point towards. And when you finally do realise it, I suppose the adrenaline almost just kicks in and it does almost blur the, the memory of it. But... Yeah, the good thing about your debut, actually, Chris, something which doesn't happen always on this podcast, at least you won, and you won it quite comfortably. As you mentioned, Gloucestershire bowling out knots for just 57 runs in a 40-over match within 18.5 overs, and yeah, ultimately smashing them by by nine wickets. So not the worst start <laughs> to your days as a, as a pro Gloucestershire at all. And the following season, in 2010, you got to represent the England under-19. So I just wanted to talk about this, and in particular, the 2010 under-19 World Cup, because just looking at that squad, right, with the likes of Joe Roots, Ben Stokes, Joss Butler, James Vince, Gloucestershire's very own David Payne, and of course, Danny Briggs from my county of Warwickshire, it was an absolutely stacked squad, to say the least. That is one of the best ever, if not the best ever, under-19 World Cup squad that England has ever produced. So in terms of those days with the England under-19s, what can you remember about the time spent with that group? Um, yeah, I, I loved my time with England-19s. It was, again, it came sort of out of nowhere. I'd never represented England at any point through the age groups and I, I got a trial at Loughborough to play a couple of 50-over games and I did pretty well and I ended up in the squad. Um, and yeah, we, we went to initially went to Bangladesh and then we went to the New Zealand World Cup. Um, and it, yeah, it was fantastic. Great bunch of guys. Obviously, some some fantastic players that you knew were going to be were going to be great players like Joss and and um, Ben Stokes. You know, like they, they were just incredible players at, at that age. You knew they were going to go on to do great things. Obviously, Joe Root as well. Um, but yeah, we, you know, it was a fantastic bunch of guys and, and we had a really good time out there. Obviously, didn't probably do as well as we should have. Um, but, you know, that happens, you know, when you're young, probably don't don't play cricket as smart as you, you could do. But 
Um, but yeah, no, it was fantastic. I, I loved every minute of that. And um, yeah, it gave me some great experience to, to move into the 2010 season where I you know, played quite a lot of cricket for Gloucestershire. And that's the entire point, isn't it, of the under-19s on the international stage? It's to build up that experience, it's to learn those lessons and experience almost that match day pressure, in particular for players who are more on the fringe. And in terms of the final standings, Australia, I believe, went on to lift the, the trophy itself. They defeated Pakistan in the final and England finished eighth. But at the under-19 level, I don't think the end result, to be honest, is that important. It's more a case of the, the lessons and learnings that you take away from those competitions. And Chris, before we touch upon the highlights from your time at Gloucestershire, I just wanted to ask this question. What do you think was the biggest takeaway that you learned from your time with the under-19s? Is there one particular lesson, one particular learning, which almost stands out above any other? Um, I think just, you know, the, the, the standout players, like obviously Joe Root, Josh Butler, Ben Stokes, you... You could just see that the work ethic they had. I think Joey Root was a great example. His work ethic, although I wouldn't say during that England under-19s World Cup, he was like the real standout player. It was more Stokes. He got 100 against India in that in one of those games and smacked it everywhere. He was like the real standout. But you could just see with with Joe that his work ethic was was next level. And I think that's the sort of stuff that then, you know, has, has meant he's gone on to, to where he was, to where he is now. I mean, um, so yeah, just like seeing other players and how they go about their business and learning a bit off them, I think was was really important. I think I I learned a lot from them because, I, like I said, I wasn't involved in any sort of England setup. I'd played a bit of Gloucester second team stuff, but I hadn't really done a huge amount. And yeah, I got to learn a lot from them, and and I think that helped me then eventually when I when I came into the county game, which is it's tough when you first start. Um, I think that gave me a bit of confidence and helped me. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, again, that is a glowing endorsement then of the England under-19s and that is exactly why they do exist. It is to allow you to build up that confidence, to learn those lessons and learn from the best at that level as well, which the likes of Ben Stokes, James Vince, Joss Butler and, of course, Joe Root were at that time. And, yeah, those four have gone on to have quite the careers, haven't they, to be honest. In fairness, the majority of that squad went on to have incredible careers, so... Again, even though they did finish eighth, that was absolutely stacked. And yeah, I do think that England cricket has a lot to thank for that particular group of lads. They were absolutely fantastic in the years that followed that particular tournament. And talking of those years that followed the Under-19 World Cup, Chris, let's talk about your career with Gloucestershire because there's an awful lot to dissect here. There's so many different moments and different highlights which we could choose from. But in terms of the time, they've spent down in the West Country so far. If you could choose one particular moment, one particular memory, one particular performance, which stands out to you above all others, what would you say has been your crowning and defining moment from your time with the glorious Gloucesters so far? Um, I think obviously you can't look past the Royal London final, which I'm, I'm sure every Gloucester who played in that would say. Um, you know, it was, it was an incredible day. Um Especially, you know, we, we were massive underdogs, obviously, against Surrey and a star-studded team. And, and even the position we were in, sort of three quarters of the way through the game, we were obviously huge huge underdogs. So that made it even sweeter. So I think you can't look past that. But then the 2019 season when we got promoted, it was just a, just a great year. You know, we, we, 
we'd worked so hard before that and then you know all just came together I felt like we had a real good bunch of guys a great a great feeling in the camp and you know to to end up getting promoted it was it was amazing and obviously it was a bit sort of it was ruined a little bit with COVID and we couldn't really go into the first division for a few years but but I just have such fond memories of that year because as much as obviously 50 over cricket 2020 over cricket's fantastic you know winning four day games is, is there's nothing better because it's just so grueling so hard on the body you're so tired at the end of the four days so so to win games like that it's amazing and, and you know to, to end up getting promoted was 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 fantastic and i remember the last day of the season it was just a great day you know the whole whole of the staff and everyone were really behind us and i just it was just really it was a really nice feeling well, we'll touch upon 2019 in due course because that final day in particular was one that's tremendously special. And I don't think that either the Gloucestershire lads or indeed the, the Northamptonshire boys will ever forget that day. You know, going up together, being promoted to the first division, it's always a very, very special moment. But I don't think that the Gloucestershire fans tuning in to today's podcast would ever forgive me if we didn't talk more about 2015 because that is one of the great seasons in Gloucestershire's rich and illustrious history, and in particular in the modern era, I don't think there have been many better one-day cup finals, to be honest. That was an absolute roller coaster from start to finish. So first and foremost, in terms of that season, Chris, how do you reflect on the group stage campaign and the knockouts, which actually led to that final in the first place? Because a certain Michael Klinger was absolutely unstoppable, wasn't he? Yeah, he was um he was incredible. That was a just a year, you just just an unbelievable year from him, you know. Obviously incredible through the group stages, semi-final, court final, having sort of flown home and then come back for the semi-final, scored a hundred, flies home again, comes back for the final. Like, it's just just incredible. And, and you know, he was just an unbelievable player, role model, person. I he, he was just incredible for us and you know, it almost made it probably better that he didn't get any in the final, you know, because everyone just thought, you know, Michael Klinger, he gets all the runs for them. They don't win unless, unless he gets them. And then for him not to get any, us to scrape a score together and then end up defending it, I think it almost made it sweeter. Obviously, he'd have loved to have got another 100 and us one easier, but I just think it was, it was, it almost made it a bit sweeter for us. Well, I'm not surprised by that because just to give some statistical background to this, over the course of the competition before that final, Klinger scored 531 runs. He was the entire competition's leading run scorer, was in scintillating form, to say the very least. And then on the day of the final itself, it's at Lords, the home of cricket, Surrey win the toss, choose the bowl first. And on the third ball of the game, Jade Dernbatch dismisses him for a duck and all of a sudden you're thinking oh goodness me this could not have got off to a worse start if we tried and all of a sudden everyone was thinking okay sorry going to absolutely steamroll this and instead what happened was we got an absolutely extraordinary showpiece to finish that year's Royal London One Day Cup. Gloucestershire ultimately beating Surrey by six runs at Lords. It was a fascinating game we've had a number of players from that final on this podcast talking about it and Chris, basically, this is your opportunity as well. I want it in your own words. What can you remember about that day and, of course, the culmination at the end of that game, lifting the one-day cup and cementing your legacy 
in the hallowed halls of, of Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. What was that like? Yeah, obviously it was a, a roller coaster. Um, I remember obviously we, we got like a, a half, like a not a great score, but we got a score um, at the end. And at halfway, I remember us, you know, you're obviously optimistic. You're, you, you're telling yourself you can do it because, you know, that's part of it. You've got, you've got to say that. But deep down, we're thinking against that sort of team with that lineup might not be enough. Um, and obviously, we got Jason Roy out quite early. Foz had got loads of wickets throughout the tournament and been fantastic for us. But then they obviously put that partnership together with Sangakar and, and and Rory Burns. And I think I remember looking around thinking, you know, it's been a great day. It's been a good day. Probably going to lose this game, but, you know, I've got to play at Lords in a final. It's been a great day. The fantastic support because the Gloucester fans were incredible the whole way through. And, you know, then suddenly things started to turn. I remember thinking, maybe we've got a chance here. And then more wickets, more happened. And before I knew it, I, I, it, again, it was it was a blur. Before I knew it, we're in the last over. And I'm thinking, we, we could win this. Um, and Sam Curran hits one out to, to Benny Howell and what looks like a really easy catch. Sun's in his eyes. You know, the final over of the final at Lords, Howler takes it, which, you know, was a real high-pressure catch. Um, and then... I was thinking we're going to do this, you know, we're going to do this. And I think I remember Payne saying that he bowled that ball to, to Gareth Batty and he let go and he thought, oh no, he's going to hit this for six. But luckily I was actually at mid-wicket, luckily he hits it, obviously you don't really know once he hits it what's going on and then I look and see Jack sort of settle himself and then, you know, just emotions took over. I think I've never never been so excited so relieved you know all sorts of emotions at once but it was just it's just an incredible feeling because also like we were a very close-knit team as well so you got Jack Payne all these guys that we were so close and and you know it, it, I, I can honestly say I didn't, I didn't feel like it was going to be tough for us to win something so to get into this position and then and actually win you know it just it just felt incredible and obviously we had Dawson just taken over the the coaching so uh, you know it's fantastic for him but I just it was just an incredible incredible day and, and the support from the Gloucester fans it was unbelievable you like you know being in in London but it almost felt like a home game um yeah it was just in, in, an incredible day and then afterwards you know as you do you celebrate you drink a little bit too much and you really enjoy it but yeah it was just it was an incredible day that you know I look back on with, with such fond memories and as you should, to be honest, because it is one of the special days, isn't it, in the history of this club, not just for you guys as the players, but obviously for those fans who turned up in numbers on that day, as was usually the case, to be honest, in any Lords final. We've seen so many great crowds over the years, even in this year's Metrobank One Day Cup final, those Leicestershire fans, I know it wasn't as far to travel, but there's just something about this competition which brings out the, the best of supporters, I think. And in terms of winning a trophy, Chris, I know this is a somewhat profound question actually with regards to that but did you ever envision yourself actually lifting the one day cup because up until that point it had been 11 years hadn't it since Gloucestershire had won any trophies let alone the one day cup something which they'd become synonymous with over the the course of the early 2000s did you ever picture yourself at the home of crickets beating an absolute powerhouse like Surrey and lifting the one day cup um you obviously always you always think you can do it 
But I think that the real hard thing about it is there's just so many good teams. You know, you look at the being Hampshire in the quarterfinals, fantastic side, then going and beating Yorkshire, another great side, and then and then getting Surrey in the final. And we had a young side, obviously. Michael Klinger was a huge part of of those wins, but you know we had a young side, and you know I just look back and it it was just such a, an incredible achievement. And I think realistically, did I think that we were going to lift the trophy at the start of the campaign? Probably not. You know, you, you always you're going to say you're going to, but do you realistically think it? Probably not, because so many fantastic teams around. But it just we just got on this this sort of whirlwind experience and and just we were just beating teams and winning these really tight, close matches and just everything just sort of went our way. And, you know, it just, it just seemed like it was almost fate, you know, just, we had a real tight game against Leicester at their play. We won on the last ball with, you know, just, there was just so much that happened that, that sort of made, made it so special. And I think, you know, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm still amazed about the, the journey and, and, and how we did it. But yeah, obviously it was, it's just amazing. It was just a fantastic year and just experience. It really was, and it's a year, it's a season, it's an occasion which will live long in the memory of those who were both there at the grounds and, of course, those following along on the radio or watching on Sky Sports as well. Just a very, very special day in this club's history, to say the least. And talking of another special day in terms of the recent history of Gloucestershire, we do have to talk about that 2019 season because that was special, wasn't it? Getting promoted from the second division getting into Division 1 ahead of what was initially meant to be the 2020 season, but ultimately transpires to be the 2022 season as a result of the COVID pandemic. But just before we talk about that season, Chris, I wanted to touch upon the year beforehand, which is 2018, because I think this is an important piece of context. You were named as the club captain, which is a tremendous honour, isn't it, given the, the names who have represented the club at that level over the course of their history. First and foremost, before we touch upon 2019, how did you find out that you're going to become the club captain of your local side? How did Chris Dent go from being top order batter to leading Gloucestershire County Cricket Club? Um, well, I'll be honest, I, at no point leading up to that did I ever think I'd be captain. You know, I hadn't really ever captained the second team. I hadn't really captained anything before. You know, it wasn't something I'd ever really done. So at no point did I ever think about it. Um, and then Richard Dawson came up and asked if I if I wanted to do it. Um, I said, no, no, I don't want to do it. Um, but then I, I sort of had a think for a, for a week or so. And I thought, like, can I can I offer something to the team? What, what can I offer? And I thought, like, I, tactically, I don't have a lot, but I guess I could learn on the job. You know, I haven't got a lot of experience, but I thought maybe I could could help grow something, even like off the field and just culture-wise, I could help. And so then I thought, actually, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, I'll, I'll see if I can if I can help the team out. And you know, then I, I really got into it. I really enjoyed trying to build something, build a culture, build a, a good team environment. And and in the end, I, I really enjoyed my my time as captain. Although it's it's tough, you know, captain a, a cricket side is not easy at all, and it takes up a lot of your time and and I have young kids, so so that made it even harder. But, but yeah, in the end, I really enjoyed it, and I'm you know looking back, I'm really proud of of what we did during that period. And, and you know, I had a lot of fun, and, and you know, a lot of it's down to the the guys you've got in your team and the characters you have. And you know, we had a great bunch of guys. You know, all got on really well. Our leaders in in the team, so that made it easy for me. So yeah, it, you know, I, I do look back with 
with a lot of fondness for those those four seasons. And as you should, because I did allude to the list beforehand, but alongside Chris Dent's name are, of course, the likes of Gilbert Jessup, Wally Hammonds, W.G. Grace, Mark Elaine in recent years as well. It's quite the list, isn't it? It's quite the honours board to be a part of being a, a captain of Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. So you should be tremendously proud, Chris. You really shouldn't. 2019 was almost a, a perfect story, wasn't it? In terms of a local lad leading his side, back to the promised lands of the first division. And in terms of that season, again, how would you put that in your own words? Because in many ways, that season just seemed to go right, didn't it, from a Gloucestershire perspective? Yeah, again, it was, it was quite similar to the 50-over campaign. It's just we had so many close games that we just got over the line in. And you look back and you think, how, like, how do we get over the line in so many of those games? It just sort of all came together. And you know, I think we just had a really good team spirit and really good um just a good feel around the camp which helped us get over those over the line and you know yeah it was just it was a fantastic like it's obviously in the county championships a whole year so you're working out for a whole year which makes that that final day of the season so sweet um but yeah you know it was just a lot of work leading up to that which i think that happens behind sort of behind closed doors which i think really helped us and and, and meant we got over the line and that's the important thing, isn't it? In the end, you did. On that fateful day against Northampton Shurans, we did touch upon it beforehand. Those celebrations, something which was almost quite unique because the game itself was barely even a game, wasn't it, as a result of the weather? It wasn't exactly a, a classic end to the championship campaign as a result of the rain in Bristol. But in terms of that day, in terms of that occasion, Chris, again, how can you put that into words? Getting promoted, not just as a player, as the captain, you led that side, that incredible bunch of lads, you led them back into the promised land of Division 1 of the county championship. Again, what was that day like? And in some ways, was it almost surreal to have done it in, in that manner? Because it was a very strange way to conclude the season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very strange one. I think, you know, the hard work had been done like three, four weeks leading up to that. Um, and it was just, in the end, it was just relief, you know. It'd been a long season. We'd scrapped hard, had loads of tight games that we just got over the line, and I think it was just just pure relief. And obviously, it was really nice that you know North Ants went up as well, so we got to celebrate with them. But um, but yeah, it was obviously not probably the game you'd expect. You know, you expect a real tight game to finish the season, get over the line, you celebrate. Obviously, we barely played any cricket, but like I said, it was the the work we'd done before meant we could really enjoy that day and and, and celebrate and, and and yeah i i went home because i had kids you know sort of midday but i think most of the lads celebrated long into the night yeah we've been told that on the podcast by some of those lads it was a very very jubilant occasion to say the least and as it should be to be honest you know it's a tremendous achievement in particular in recent years the second division has become so difficult hasn't it i mean we saw middlesex for years toil away in Division 2 until getting promoted in 2022. It's a very harsh and unforgiving environment. So to get promoted in the first place is a massive achievement. And just touching upon the the flip side of that, Chris, because we mentioned the highlights. So becoming the club captain, obviously promotion in 2019 and that unforgettable campaign in the 2015 Royal London One Day Cup. I suppose we do just have to touch upon the other aspects of the game, which is the more difficult moments, because 
as much as it's brilliant to talk about the highlights and look back on them, such as the the 2015 campaign and, and revel in the glory, unfortunately cricket isn't like that, is it? You've got tremendous, tremendous troughs alongside those peaks. So I suppose on the, the flip side and the alternative side of the game, what do you say have been the more difficult and tougher moments from your time down in Bristol to date? Um, I think, you know, obviously getting getting promoted, we had those, those couple COVID years which were interesting. And then going into the first division and that, you know, it was a real tough year in the first division that, that year. And obviously it being so long since we've been in the first division, obviously, it was obviously a really disappointing year and it was it was tough for everyone you know because we had all this expectation of, of doing well and minimum staying up and and you know it just didn't work out at all and then sort of back in the second division after all that hard work we put in and then obviously last year we we struggled again um but I think you know that's, that's part of cricket isn't it it's part of what you have to part with and and as long as you're you know you keep working hard and and trying to improve you you just got to hope that things things work out but you know it's, it's, it's certainly not been been easy at Gloucestershire you know we've we've had years where we've really struggled and and, and not done that well but that, that's part of it you know there's great teams you know that 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 don't perform you know it's, and and we've got to, sometimes at Gloucester you got to be you got to be realistic you know we don't have loads of international players we don't have a huge squad so sometimes, it, you know, being realistic can help because, you know, we all want to win things. We want to win the 2020. We want to win the 50 over. We want to get promoted again and then and win the championship. But it takes time. It, and, you know, if you if you if you put too much pressure on that, it's, it moves away from just the process of, of trying to get better and 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 trying to put in good performances because it's, it's not all about winning. You know, you want to win, but. It's the stuff that the work you put in that that will help you win. But yeah, like I said, it's, cricket's tough. You know, very rarely do you have long periods where things go really well. So you just have to really accept that you know it's not always gonna it's not always gonna be really good, and and that's part of it. It is, and I think it's important again to actually just recognise that because. One of the teams which I can just recall in, in recent years would actually be Essex. So Essex in 2016 were in the second division, weren't they? And a lot of people were, I'm not going to say dismissive of them, but I don't think they expected them to do anything in the first division in 2017. And look how it panned out. Mr Simon Harmer, Jamie Porter, and of course the, the batting lineup taking them to county championship glory. So you never know, cricket's a very, very funny game isn't it you think you're at the absolute lowest of the low and then all it takes is for one good season and all of a sudden you feel on top of the world again so it's a bit like our, our conversation about batting earlier you've just got to take the the difficult moments with the great moments and just in terms of of this last season Chris before we talk about the future and we touch upon your testimonial year which is coming up in 2024 I do want to focus on that how do you reflect on the summer of 2023 because it was quite a weird one, wasn't it, for Gloucestershire? In particular, in the early months of the season with the weather and quite a few games getting abandoned and quite a few ending up as draws. So in terms of this last season across formats, how would you summarise and put into words 
Gloucestershire's performances and your own individual performances over the summer of 2023? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it was disappointing, obviously. I think, like like you said, we were, we were a bit unlucky in the first sort of six-week block of the season. We lost a lot of time to the weather, could have won some games, you know, could have easily won maybe three of those six, and then suddenly you're near the top of the table. Everything looks a bit different. Um, we also had a lot of injuries to our bowlers, which I think, you know, when you when you lose bowlers, it hurts you a lot. You know, batters can like keep you in games and and set games up, but you, you, your bowlers win your games. And if you if you can't put your your best bowlers out there, it's, it's really tough to to win games. And I think you know we had loads of injuries with some of our some of our really experienced bowlers, which made it really tough. Um, but look, I think we there's been a lot of change at, at Gloucester over the last sort of two years, and I think it'd been unrealistic to think that everything would just click and everything would just be great and, and smooth because like, with change comes a lot of turbulence. And I think, you know, as long as we learn from the last couple of years and, and, and people start to, to feel a bit more comfortable with the new setup, which I think is, is good. I, I, you know, I know I don't, I'm not really on social media a lot, but I know that a lot's been said about it, but I think, you know, there's, it's, it was expected. Like, like I said, there's with, with lots of change, there's always there's always issues initially. But I think you know if we iron those out moving forward, we've got some great young players. And I think some of the highlights from last year, obviously Ollie Price, those guys, those youngsters that have had the opportunity and and, and taken it. I think that, that puts us in great stead for next season and, and moving forward. Um, my personal thoughts last year, I was obviously disappointed with with how I went last year, but. You know, I'm I'm learning from it, and I'm working hard already in this in this short period we've been we've been back, and you know I want to improve on on what I did last year, and you know it's given me some real motivation to work hard this winter, and and hopefully be able to score more runs and help Gloucester win more games next year. Um, because you know I wasn't happy with with what I offered last year, but but I've had other seasons like that. You know, you can't expect to to always score runs. That's just part of it. You you get into these runs of form where you you don't do as well as you'd like to, but as long as you, like I said, keep faith and and keep working hard, it should all change. So, so yeah, hopefully next year I can I can offer a bit more to the table because you know that some of those youngsters stood up and did a fantastic job for us. It's just actually probably a, a slightly older guys. If we can stand up as well, you know, I think we'll we'll be able to compete next year. And, and if we can keep people on the park, I think we'll, we've got a, you know a fantastic squad that can win games. It's just sometimes. Things don't quite go your way. No, no excuse, you know. We, we we weren't quite good enough, but but injuries do really hurt you. And if you can keep people on the park, that's that's half the battle. It certainly is. And I just think back to a season involving my county of Warwickshire, which was 2019, where we lost every single seamer to injury, and we had so many low knees. So we brought in Toby Lester, James Wayman, Bailey Whiteman came in, Ben Mike came in on loan for the Hampshire game. Trust me, it does make a difference when you don't have your seamers. So that's completely understandable, Chris. And as you do mention, Gloucestershire have got a fantastic young core. And I think the main focus point from this season were the Price brothers, to be honest. I mean, Ollie had an extraordinary season across competitions and then Tom Price producing that piece of history against Worcestershire with a century and a hat-trick on the same day. So the future looks incredibly bright. And then obviously you've got the likes of AJ Dale Definitely someone to watch out for. I've got a lot of time for AJ and I do think he'll have a very good season. So 
the future looks bright. It's just a case of things needing to click. It's a case of gaining that extra experience and, of course, hoping that injury doesn't derail things. But just before we talk about that future, Chris, and we wrap up the podcast with that talk about your testimonial, you mentioned there your relationship with social media. And this is something which, again, is incredibly common on this podcast. And one of our former guests on this podcast was Tom Lice, one of my favourite guests, spoke really candidly and openly about his experiences with social media in, unfortunately, in his case, what was quite negative at times. So in terms of your experiences on social media, whether that's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, how do you view your relationship as a cricketer with the world of social media? Um, yeah, it's, it's tough because obviously social media can can be a great thing if you if you use it right and it can be really good for your brand and and get you out there. But there's obviously lots of negatives to it. Um, I think back to when I first started compared to now, it's changed so much, and uh, you know it can be a really tough tough place social media. So so I personally went off it for a couple of years. I've had to go back on because of the testimonial and these things. You know, I need to go back on there, but. I really enjoyed a time away from it because you like because even the good stuff even when you're doing well and, and everyone's raving about you i think it just makes it makes your, your highs and lows a lot a lot a lot higher and a lot lower so i just i, I think it's a it's a thing especially as a youngster you probably need to be cautious of i've got i've got young kids and and i'm they're obviously they're too young now to be on social media but but i'm worried for when the time comes and they want to go on social media because it's just it's just I'm not sure it's the the greatest place to be because you're comparing yourself to other people you you know especially as a sportsman you, you're getting comments constantly about how you're doing I, I just think it's a really tough place to be and 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 I think people need to be wary of it um but uh, and obviously Lacey's a great example you know he, I think he had a lot of negative comments on there and and you know it's just things that you don't need to see because at the end of the day when when you're not doing well you're your your biggest critic you know you're the one that's putting the most pressure on you and then seeing all this other stuff just really really piles on it can be a really hard thing to see um so yeah it's just it's just not a not a nice place a lot of the time and i think yeah just people need to be really wary of it um yeah, I just uh, it, it worries me where it's where it's going to go, you know, because it's only going to get bigger and and you know people people can be really unkind on there. They certainly can, and to be honest, I'm glad that we've actually had this chat about it. To be honest, Chris, because it is something which weighs up on my mind. Because without social media, I wouldn't have a platform to do this podcast. You know, this is how I get 99% of the guests is via Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, even the occasional ones on on LinkedIn, right? Without social media, it would be very difficult to even have this this podcast in the first place. But I completely understand the the flip side, which is the more negative aspect. You do get a lot of awful comments, a lot of very nasty people, and it can derail your crickets. It really can. And something which I will say, I know that you're not massively into social media, but it's something which you did on Twitter, which I've always had tremendous respect for since was the way in which you actually stood up for Tom Lace. I'm not sure if you remember the the exact tweet, but I spoke about that with Tom on this podcast. And I just thought that showed leadership. I thought it showed a lot of guidance for a younger player. 
And that is exactly what I think some cricketers need to do because social media can be unforgiving. And it is within human nature, isn't it, when we do have a good performance to reap the rewards of, of good comments and praise and plaudits. But at, at times when you do a bad performances, if you log on social media and you see thousands or hundreds of comments saying he's terrible, deserves to be dropped, worst cricketer on the planet, that also has a massively detrimental impact. So as someone who's experienced that more negative aspects of social media, Chris, what advice would you have, again, for those young cricketers who maybe have had the more negative aspects involved in their life? How do you expect or how do you advise young cricketers to deal with the increased pressures of social media? I think, firstly, just if you can, try and not so much ignore them, but just, just not look out for it. You know, it, I've seen some people who, who go looking through comments, who, who go look at the Facebook pages and think, I think you're never going to find anything you want to find there. So try and just stay away from that, you know. Because um, the thing that the people who are writing these things don't understand is, you know, these are human beings. These are, you know, these are these are guys that have feelings. And I think the, the Tom Lace example, you know, people are getting stuck into him, but but we were seeing him as the human. You know, he was he was so down. He was so unhappy with with what was going on. But they don't see that. They don't see the human side they just think oh he's not not doing as well as he can he probably doesn't care you know doesn't care he's he's picking up his his paycheck and and hasn't bothered but actually you know the guys are the guys are, are hurting more than the supporters are you know we we want to do well but if and when we're not doing well it hurts us just as much so you know adding adding sort of fuel to the fire just doesn't help in any way um i just think just trying to just trying to use it for what it's good for you know it is great for obviously creating a brand you know staying in contact with friends these sort of things using it for that try and stay away from you know looking out for any of the, the comments or, or trying to find what people are saying about you because most of the time you're not going to find find what you want to find and and when and those sort of comments can really stick with you and, and hurt you for, for a long period of time. So, yeah, just trying to stay away from that side of it. 100% agree with that, to be honest, Chris. And one of the, I don't know, it almost sounds too obvious at times. It almost sounds like a blatantly obvious way of doing that. But as a cricketer, just put your profile on private and just reduce it to friends or, or maybe to outlets which you want to explore. Because if you have it on public you can get any messages and we see it all the time, don't we, on people's Instagram stories, some of the abuse that they're subjected to. So I know it sounds very obvious and some people might roll their eyes at even the suggestion of it, but just put your account on private. You know, it's a very simple thing to do and it does help at least filter it a little bit. You can decide what you do and don't see with regards to that content to a degree. And I'm glad that we've had this chat, to be honest. And I also just want to give a shout out to Tom Lace because We've spoken about him at length on this podcast. And as I said, his conversation that we had completely opened up a new perspective when it came to, to my use of social media. So I want to give a shout out to Tom Lace, lovely individual, good cricketer as well. And yeah, I hope he's doing well, to be honest. I really do. I like Tom Lace. He was an excellent guest to have here on the County Cricket Podcast. And Chris, before we wrap up today's episode, an episode which, to be honest, has been absolutely fascinating. I've really, really enjoyed this one, to be honest. 
But we've got to talk about the future because 2024 is your year. It's your testimonial, Denti's testimonial, as it's been coined on social media. So first and foremost, in terms of the testimonial, how did that come about and what can we expect from your testimonial year? Well, I sort of thought that maybe I was going to have one um, uh, the last couple of years. And I think, you know, with COVID and everything, I probably wasn't the right time. So I decided that this year could could be the right time. And, I, I you know, I got the opportunity to have one. Um, I'll be honest, it's, it's so far out of my comfort zone. So far. I'm not the sort, sort of person that networks and, and does this sort of stuff. So it's going to be a, a tough year and a lot, a lot of very stressful year. But um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. It's a great opportunity. Obviously, some of the, the players that have had them before in, in my time, Marshy had one, Alex Gibman, Chris Taylor, I think it was just before I joined, but, you know, Craig Spearman, those guys. So it's obviously been some fantastic names that have had them. So I feel really, you know, really lucky to be given the opportunity. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm excited, but nervous. Um, got some good people that are going to help me out. So that should should help. But hopefully, you know, the guys and the, the Gloucester supporters can can get behind me and, and yeah, and help me out with it. But yeah, you know, it's going to be a, a busy year. It certainly is. But to be honest, Chris, it's really justified. I think you've earned it, to be honest, after 14 incredibly memorable seasons. I mentioned those stats beforehand, but just to, to hammer this point home, 11,119 first-class runs, 2,446 in the list A formats, and 1,543 in T20 cricket as well. It has been some career. And as I mentioned right at the start of the podcast, you become a modern icon of the club. So I think it's thoroughly deserved, mate. And we will, of course, leave the the links to the website and all of the socials in the podcast description below. So if you want to go and check those out, folks, please feel free to do so and support Chris in his testimonial year because looking at some of the events on the website so far, looks like some pretty good events. So yeah, definitely, if you're a Gloucestershire fan, Get yourself down and support Chris in his endeavours over the summer of 2024. But Chris, before we do just wrap up, one final question, which does, of course, revolve around the season, the summer. It's not that far away. It's 2024. What are you hoping to achieve in the game of crickets heading into next season? And of course, the years beyond. What does Chris Dent hope to achieve in this wonderful sport heading into the near future? Um, I think... I would just I would love to win another trophy with Gloucester. You know, that that day in 2015, there's not a huge amount of us left. You know, me, Payne, Jack, not a huge amount. So I'd love to to be able to win another trophy with with some of these young guys that are coming through and give them, you know, the experience that me, Payne, and Jack got on that day. You know, it's there's there's nothing like it. It's such a fantastic experience. And, you know, these guys are such talented cricketers. And I'm, you know, I just think they deserve to win, to win some stuff. And I'm, I really want to help do that. And, you know, I know Jack and Payne will feel the same. So, you know, just trying to, to help Gloucester gain some more success would, would be great. You know, it, it, it might feel like a long way away from, from some of those having, you know, experienced the last couple of years, but having, having done it in 2015, you know, it, do, it doesn't take much, you know, just getting on, a, getting a bit of momentum, couple guys really standing up and before you know it you, you you're in with a chance and I think you know it would it would really top off the end of my career if I could if I could you know enjoy a day like that with some of these youngsters that are coming through 
Well, Chris, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the County Cricket Podcast are wishing both yourself and the rest of the Gloucestershire team all the best of luck heading into next season and, of course, the years beyond. I mean, it is an exciting time and, yes, the summer of 2023 might not have gone to plan, but there's always the future. Cricket is a funny game. Things can happen and all it takes is a little bit of momentum. All it takes is for certain games to go your way and all of a sudden, who knows? Things are plausible. Things are possible. All it takes is for one moment, one particular knock, one particular performance. And who knows? There could be more silverware to add to that Gloucestershire Trophy cabinet heading into the future. But Chris, I think that is a lovely place to to wrap up what's been an excellent episode of the County Cricket Podcast. I'm just looking at the time that's absolutely flown by today. I don't have a clue where on earth that's gone. But just before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, the testimonial website, stuff like that? Um, well, if you know, if guys can get behind it, it'd be, it'd be fantastic and visit and follow the, the Instagram and the various pages. But um, but no, not really. I just want to say, you know, thank you for having me, having me on. It's been been great to chat and I you know I've really enjoyed it. Well, I'm very glad to hear that, mate. And obviously the invitation is extended into the future as well. You're always welcome back here on the County Cricket Podcast either in 2024 or indeed the summer's beyond that as well, mate. But that does bring us to an end to what's been an absolutely fascinating episode of the County Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.